Lord be with you, everyone. And this is a, I suppose it's something of an important broadcast. Uh, it is number 300. 300 times I have sat in front of a camera. Some of those early ones were pretty bad, but um, we've, we've at least 300 times we've sat in front of a camera and spoken to you. And it, it's a joy to have this particular camera and to be able to speak literally to the world from here in Bandera. And, and so thank you for watching and those who listen on podcast. It is great to be with you every week. And could I very quickly say, and not very quickly, but uh, we are now a few days away from going to Florida, St. Petersburg, for our retreat there on living in the fullness of God. And if you are having last-minute desires to be there, call our office immediately before it's too late. And then uh, far ahead, uh, the December retreat here in Kerrville, Texas, will be the first weekend of December and we will be looking at the radical transforming grace of God. And we have already uh, begun to get persons signing up for that. So, I want to share with you um, a word that is, uh, is, is very important to me. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those foundational words once you get your teeth into it. And I want us to have a look at it, maybe for more than one week, I'm not sure. But we can look at one verse. It is in Psalm number 90 and in verse 14. And there it says, Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Okay? Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness. Okay, this psalm, it's one of the uh, few psalms that are written by someone other than David. And in this case, it was written by Moses. And that's very significant. And we could look at many parts of the psalm that suddenly make a lot more sense when we realize it was written by Moses but we don't have time for that. Just let me fill you in. It was written by Moses at the end of those 40 years when the Israelites were wandering in the desert aimlessly, actually, and just going almost around in circles until those had died who had been uh, the the ones, the well, it was actually the parents of the now existing Israelites, who had refused to go into the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And so, if they don't go into the land of promise, then they will wander in the wilderness. It was not an empty time. They learned many lessons. There are many things that happened to them there that we talk about all the way through to the New Testament. But they were not enjoying the promise that belonged to them. They just simply wandered around and around in very large circles. Uh, And now they have died off. 
that whole generation has died and it's their children now that are coming up and uh, it is to these now that Moses speaks. I don't know if you know this, but the book of Deuteronomy is a series of sermons that Moses preached to the people. Um, as I said, I don't know if you knew that, but uh, in those sermons, he outlines the history that is behind them and then opens up this incredible land to which they are going, the land of God's promise. And and so Deuteronomy, what was pounding into them, that, that your your parents missed this, but you are the children now to whom the promise is now given. Go in and take what your parents tragically never did enjoy. And this was also um, the time, well, not quite, because Moses is going to die after giving Deuteronomy, and then they um, cross over into the land under Joshua. And Joshua receives the same emphasis that he is now to meditate on these promises, uh, never let them go. And this prayer comes in the middle of all that. It came at the time of the preaching of Deuteronomy. And it is the announcement, in fact, that Moses well knew that he could talk until he's blue in the face and it would not make any difference to the people. And so he is praying. And so he speaks Deuteronomy, but he is praying this prayer that we call Psalm 90. And he's praying specifically for these, the children of those who had never entered into the promise. And he's praying for them. And he prays, satisfy us with your loving kindness, but satisfy us in the morning. He, he's, he's praying. He said, there's a new day. We are standing at the edge of a new day that no one here has ever imagined what it will be like. It's a new day of new possible. And he's praying because only God can open our eyes to see it. Only God can give us the expectancy, you might say the new expectancy, to go with the new possible, which is the new day. And he says, for 40 years we've been in, in, in twilight and darkness and now we're, we're moving out. There's a new sun rising. We're moving into a new day, a new generation to go where ancestors had not gone before. To wake up and live in a state of wakefulness toward God instead of asleep as their fathers. And as I've often said, uh, you don't know you've been asleep until you wake up. And and if you hadn't planned on going to sleep and you wake up, you, you shake your head, what happened? Where am I? Uh, how did this come about? Well, that's, that's almost the, the... They've been asleep for 40 years. And, and the... Uh, children, that's all they'd known. They'd only known the whining of their parents. Miserable bunch. And now Moses comes in with his sermons in Deuteronomy, and he comes in with this passionate prayer that God will wake them up. It's morning. Come and see the new day that God had promised so long ago 
though your parents never laid hold upon it. I, I find that uh, this is not out of date for us. We are living in such a day. I believe that around the world there is an awakening. And I don't use those words very much. I think they can be overused. But from letters we receive, from persons we talk to in other countries, there, there is a waking up to the grace of God, a shaking of themselves, as if to say, why didn't I see this before? Where have I been? Well, that may be the case for some of you tonight, in which case, let's hanker down and realize this prayer is for every one of us, every one of us. It was a prayer that they would move from knowing about the God of covenant, his faithfulness, his promises, and they would come instead to know him in their experience. Do you, you realize what I'm saying there? It is very possible, terribly possible, to know about the covenant God. It's very possible you know all about the love of God. About, about. You see, the moment you use the word about, there is a separation. Because when you say know about, it means I'm sitting here and what I know about is over there on the desk. I know about it. It's removed from me. It's a thing. And, and there's, there's no such in the Bible. The Bible is all about knowing. Cut out the about. It is knowing. And when you say knowing, that means relationship. It means that there's been an integration that is not a piece of knowledge laying on the desk that you've memorized and now you know about it, but it is that it's come inside of you, you inside of it, and you have wond with it. That's what Moses is praying here. Satisfy us with your loving kindness. And so you could put it another way, that he is praying that this truth concerning who God is, this covenant relationship, will come off the page of the ancient scripture and into their very core being that it might be lived out in their daily life. Do you see that? How it's possible to read the most incredible description of salvation in, in the scripture, but it's on the page and it bears no resemblance to your life. And this prayer is... <laughs> Bring it off the page and satisfy our hearts. It's a big difference. And so I say again, Moses has preached, but he knows that nothing's going to happen unless God himself opens the eyes of their understanding. And then it takes place. And so, okay, that's, that's what this psalm and especially this verse is about. So the new day is in the process of dawning. If we had a map, I could show you exactly where they were when this was prayed and Deuteronomy was preached. But it was outside of the land of promise. But if you got on a high hill, you could look down and see it. They were so close to the promises of God. 
The new possible is only a matter of days, maybe months away, and it centers on this word loving kindness. It's a very hard word to put into English for the simple reason that the very center of the word, its pulse beat, is the covenant. And here in the West, and I know there's a number of you who are not in the West as you're listening to me right now, and thank God for it. Um, some of you are well aware of what this word means, though you may have some other word for it in your language, but it, it, it's connected to covenant. And here in the West, there is little or no understanding of covenant whatsoever. It's uh, it's a word that you can find in legal documents sometimes here in the States and Canada, but uh, it, as practically speaking, nobody really knows what it means. And I find that there are many who substitute the word covenant for contract. That only shows that they know absolutely nothing about this. A covenant is the strongest word underline that in purple. It is the strongest word known among humans when it comes to the matter of love. It, it, in, in fact, the word loving kindness comes out from the highest concept of love that is known and recorded among human beings. It is the desire and the action of giving oneself wholly to another. That, that's covenant in a word. Um, a covenant, uh, there was always a public ceremony of some kind uh, in which blood was shed. As, as uh, my many messages on the covenant, and so I'm rushing through this, but um, they, would, they would cut their person. I have seen in, in countries as I've traveled and questioned about this, they cut the tips of their finger, they cut across their hand, they cut their wrist. But in so doing, it was so that they could bring the hand of the person they were making covenant with and touch so that the blood was mingled or shake the hand. In fact, that's where our Western handshake comes from. And the blood would pool in the palms of their hand and mix, and they would become one blood. Or the bringing of the wrist together. Whichever way, it differs from place and country, but it was a blood oath. It, you, I was going to say they, they took it very seriously. I would think so. Because a blood oath is, is swearing upon one's own life and saying, even to the shedding of blood, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Or, I will keep this covenant even if it kills me. And it's a universal understanding that if you do not keep the covenant, if you should break the covenant, which I might say is almost unthinkable wherever there is covenant made, but if they do, then they expect death for so doing. It's it's the strongest, I say, uh, of any union made between humans. Um, and, and so you could say a covenant is an exchange of persons. 
That is, person A gives themselves to person B as person B is giving themselves to person A. And they exchange all that I am, I give to you. I am for you. That's that's covenant. Um, It would unite the two parties so that the two, though they remain individuals, and have their own life, and yet at the same time they are one, and it's understood that each belongs to the other. And so the the cut on their hands, the scar, or wherever it was, it was the constant reminder that they were a covenant person. And the word used in ancient days and in parts of the world today is that when such a covenant is made, you are a friend. See, it's come a long way between that and Facebook. But um, a friend is someone that you have covenanted with, with, with blood oaths, and, and, and therefore you will be faithful to them. One translation of this word is unfailing love. It is a faithfulness that cannot fail because it was sworn in blood. It's a covenant. Faithful even to death. And as I said a moment ago, let me say clearly that a covenant, there is no clause in a covenant that allows the possibility of it to be broken. There's no, well, you know, if, if you happen to break this, no, that, that's not in there. There's no clause for such. In fact, among certain Uh, North American Indians who keep covenant, uh, and of course they made covenant with the white man, and the white man broke every covenant they'd ever made, and the, the Indians stood speechless because there is no word in their language for broken covenant. It just cannot be imagined. Among the Arabs today, they have an expression that blood is thicker than milk, which means a blood oath such as this is stronger than if you have shared mother's milk with a brother. Yeah, this this covenant is the closest thing you can get to unbreakable among humans. Um, Well, loving kindness, as I say, you've got to know covenant to understand what loving kindness is. And so the word in the Hebrew language, we find it very difficult to put into English because there's no covenant to hang this word to. So people don't know what it is. What, what, what is loving kindness? Well, loving kindness is the word that describes the action of covenant love that the person making covenant does. And so you'll always find the word loving-kindness is linked with, with doing or keeping. It is the love of the covenant that is now active to do and to be there to make this covenant a daily reality. And so it was the loving-kindness love that initiated the covenant. It was loving-kindness that says we should bring this to a a moment of sworn blood oath. That was a loving kindness rising in the parties. And then once the covenant was made, then everything that flowed out from that, all the ways in which the covenant was kept, 
That was called loving kindness. It is the love of covenant invading one's life. Um, And so let me say like this, loving kindness is not just a legal idea. You know what I mean? Well, we made covenant, and you know what we're supposed to do now. It's, it's a, you know, we do our best. You know, we do our best to keep it. Uh, I'll do my best to be there when you need me. It's, it's as if, you know, I'm, I, it, it isn't the ideal. It isn't the, well, this is what we ought to be. This is what we should be. It's a great idea, but, well, we try. No, no, that's not, not it. It's not a theory. It's not a theory of covenant. It's not dangling the ultimate in front of you and say, well, it's a jolly good idea. Have a go at it. Um, try to be it. No, no, no. It's not an ideal to be strived for. Loving kindness is the act of the person making the covenant. It's the act of their actual loving the the doing of it. This is where you actually touch the love of the person who covenants with you. They're, and they are touching you in your life, your deepest life, touching what you're doing, touching you at the point of your need. It is the connection of, of the love of the covenanter. It, it's, it's where they connect it's where this is no longer just some super game that people play. This is where one life is truly identified with and connects with and is therefore the other person. Loving kindness, as I said, it's always connected with the word keeping because loving kindness is love that keeps every promise it's made. Otherwise, it becomes people just saying stuff to sound loving and all these great things when they're emotionally moved and say, I'll do anything for you. No, 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 no. Loving kindness is down there in the dirt with you. It's doing it. It's keeping the promise. And so when loving kindness is spoken of, it means I'm feeling in, in my very person and in what I'm doing, I am feeling the covenant love of the person who covenants with me. You could say that it it is that love of covenant that actually comes into the other party of the covenant. And when that love comes in, it changes everything, changes attitude. It turns anxiety into relief. It's real. The love, the person is here and now. I'm not alone. I am carried by this. Quite a word, you know, quite a word. And as I say, it's it's difficult to put all that into English. Um, But I've had a go at it. It it, it is there. And, and of course, the amazing. And, And this, if it doesn't take your breath away, you haven't really heard what I said. See, the amazing revelation of the entire Bible is that the tri-personal God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, He initiates covenant relationship between Himself and you and I, between us and the human. And I said it covers the whole Bible. It's not sort of a P.S., in fact, I could show you that 
creation uh, is a covenant act, and I could show you Adam in covenant, Noah in covenant, but from Abraham on, there is established into the human race this, I mean, mind-blowing speech, (laughs) speech leaves me to say it, that God, the Creator, would give himself away to us creature humans. This is what is behind what I've said on this broadcast before, that God would have nothing that he cannot share with you. Everything that God has, he has it in order to share with you. That's a covenant statement. It is God who is in his very being giving himself away to us and into our little human lives. It's covenant. And loving kindness, therefore, is that love actually in action, actually coming into our lives to be touching our lives and us for feeling the presence of that love and to be upheld by that love and God standing in faithfulness behind his word because he has sworn in the blood of Jesus a blood oath, covenant. God loves us. I think the only way you'll really understand what that means is to say God loves me. And um, don't stop saying that until it has sunk into the depths of your subconscious. Uh, God loves me. It's one thing to say God loved the world, but to say he loves me and gave himself for me is something else altogether. And to realize that that love is this covenant love in which God the Father looks at you and wills to give himself to you. And God the Son wills in the same fashion to be the bloodshed and the guarantee of the covenant. And the Holy Spirit is the loving kindness that comes and actually applies that into our lives. That this this is what the gospel is. And so God made covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, where you have the the local way of doing covenant is laid out, only in this case it's between God and Abraham. And God so takes the initiative that Abraham sleeps through the entire thing or really has a vision of it, while God makes covenant on behalf of Abraham and on behalf of himself. And so the the keeping of the covenant hinges only upon God. That was established, Genesis 15. But then, um, 40 years before Moses wrote this psalm, there, there was covenant made with Israel at Mount Sinai. And those who wandered in the desert, those who had refused to go into the promised land, they had been there. Can you imagine that? They had actually been there before the glory of God when the covenant was made. They had been among the people, the one-time-in-history people, who had said with their voice, yes, we'll do this, we'll keep this covenant. Um, they, They were the first ones. 
I mean, this idea was certainly not remote. They had been there. But, but they only knew about it. It was doctrine. You could say it's what our denomination believes. So it's over there in the book. There it is. All, all the promises are there. Everything God said he would do. and It's a very good idea. And we, we belong to that group. But they didn't know him. I, I won't say any more on that. I think you know where that could lead. To, to, to have it all written out and to be there and to hear it and yet not to know it. That they could describe the day. They could tell their children what happened that day. But it had never penetrated into their core so as to transform them into covenant people. And so Moses prays this prayer that their children now, who stand before him as strapping young men and women, he prays that the children will know. Even though the children weren't there when the covenant was made, it still applies to them, or does it ever? And, and Moses prays they will come to know that in their experience, have a heart response to the covenant such as their parents never did, and come to know and experience the loving kindness of God, God's love actually touching them and being with them in the unfolding of life. He's praying that the covenant will come off the pages of Scripture by an act of God and put inside of them. And he knows there's no way this can happen unless God does that. This is your loving kindness. Your loving kindness. Come on, think about it. I I guess I'm... Persons that, you know, they come across one's path, or you read what they write, or... there, There is this disconnect, that's the word, a disconnect, so that I can say God is love. And if you know anything of the Old Testament, you would say loving kindness too. The God of love actually comes to deal with people. We know about that. I have sat down and talked with persons who have been through Bible school and seminary, are now pastors, and they talk about the love of God as if it's a legal document filed down in the courthouse. God is love. Go on to the next subject. We are speaking here of the realest love that you will ever hear of or no you'd never comprehend it eye has not seen ear has not heard it's never entered into the heart of man the things that god has for those who love oh that but this is this makes all human love look like a pathetic wilted flower this is the energy of real love this is the passion. This is the desire of God to have you for his very self and for us to know and experience, to know that that love communicating with our innermost being 
and bringing our lives into accord with that love. See, believers tend to look at the love of God as, as merely an attitude. It's just there in the list of things we're supposed to believe about God. And, and well, God is love. Of course, we, we don't hold to that too long. As soon as something goes wrong, we start getting upset and, and saying, well, why did God allow this, you see? So it's a very, very vague attitude. Very, it's very general sort of stuff. As, as I've said often, we believe God is generally a sort of nice. He's, he's nice, generally speaking. Um, he's like a old grandfather in his rocking chair who smiles benignly at the children as they play. He, he's, no, 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 no. I, I remember being interviewed at one time on a, on a, sh- a radio show, uh, and the person didn't know me, and um, they'd got something in front of them that told them what I, I did, and, and, but they didn't understand, and it was pretty obvious. Uh, and so somewhere on there, it, it said that I went around the world preaching and teaching, and, and, and so you know, with a big, big interviewer's smile, they said, well, and, and what is it that you go around the world teaching? And I said, I, I go around the world, um, something like Johnny Appleseed. I, I go around the world just scattering the seed of the reality that God is love and God loves you. And I'll never forget the look on that interviewer's face. They didn't know where to go. And, and finally, she, it was a lady, she said, isn't that sweet? Uh, I said, lady, that's the last word on the planet you'd ever use. This is God's love. This, this, this love is, is the strongest. This is, is the love of ultimate energy that comes into a person's life and home and transforms us and brings us to that for which we were created. It's not just sweet. It's not vague. It's not an old grandfather. It's the highest, limitless tri-personal Father and Son and Holy Spirit, energy of love. And it's not only that we reap the benefits, like, well, I, I, you know, God forgives me. Lord, I hope you get beyond that. Um, No, it it is that He is loving us. Do do you get it? It's not merely, I I feel sort of good because He loves me. Forget that for a minute. He loves you, which means that the God who holds the universe within his arms, he is driven. That's his being. His inner motivation of God is to move toward you and to love you. Do you get it? This is not, there's no passivity here. This is the action of God. He is in the act of loving you, and he does so with passion. Hmm. Loving kindness. It's the end of all doubt as to how God feels about you. Loving-kindness is the announcement of God's opinion about you. (laughs) He loves you and loves you with blood oath. 
will never leave you, never forsake you. And if he did, then he would be gone and so would the whole of creation. You see, it's covenant love, so it's faithful love. Uh, Some translations have it steadfast love. You've got to have in there the idea that it's immovable, unchangeable. And could I say unambiguous? Do you know what that means? Unambiguous. It means it's transparent truth. do, Do you realize that when I say God, I mean God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, in total, the Holy Trinity is love, is covenant love, and comes to us in the beautiful, gentle energy of loving kindness. So what, what I mean is when you, you look at God, I know people, they, they look at Jesus and say he's love, but they're not too sure about the Father. Um, and... It's almost as if they believe there's a God hiding behind what we think of God. So that you can say he loves us all you like, and then the monster's going to come out and chew you up. Um, I I don't know how many people became Christians because they were scared of God. And they became a Christian so they could get, you know, they sort of pulled a fast one. They, They got away from this punishing monster. Jesus did that for you. No, all that's pagan. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but that's pagan. God's love, he is unambiguous. What you see is what you get. He's transparent. This is he. We rest in the total covenant commitment as he, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit pursue with passion his goal to put his arms around us and draw us into himself in love. He cannot give up, for this is his very being. He would cease to be if he gave up. Have you got got an inkling of that? Well, that's the end of all doubt. You know that he can never forsake you. He can never let you down. He can never leave you in the lurch. He can't. His love has made sure you understand that in that he describes it as covenant love. And so to know God's love is to cease. Oh, I felt that. You cease from all struggle to rest because you're resting. And you're resting in a lover that can never fail you. I tell you, there's a verse or verses, especially Psalm 89. You can read it. It's, it's written to David, and without getting into a lot of detail, David was the perfect image or type, whatever you want to call it, of Jesus to come and of us who are locked into Jesus. And so as you read it, this comes to you, even though it's written to David. It comes very specifically in the big picture of the Bible. It comes right into your heart. Psalm 89, 28, and then I'll skip around a bit. It says, my loving kindness, God is speaking, my loving kindness I will keep for him, 
That is for Jesus, but you're in Jesus, and that's how it applies to you. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever. My covenant shall be confirmed to him. I will not break off my loving kindness from him. I will not deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. Whoa! Did you hear those words? He said, I will not alter the utterance of my lips. And he says that in the context of the covenant. He said, I've sworn this. I will not... Isn't that fantastic? You read a scripture and you know that God himself had said, I'll never alter what I said there. It will never be able to... There's no shelf life on it. There's no day that says, use by. No, he says, I'll never alter this. This is who I am, put into words. I will not lie to you, he says. And then, of course, Hebrews 13, which picks up a number of scriptures, actually, and puts them all together. But Hebrews 13, 5, it says, He himself, I like that. This is not secondhand. He didn't say it through a prophet. God himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? Now, in the Amplified Version, which I say every time I use it, but it is used pretty universally. So there are some churches that might have a little bit of a problem with some of the things I say, but you get this Amplified. They, most churches agree with the Amplified. Listen to what it says. In, in the Amplified Version, it says, For he... God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you, assuredly not." So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. Did you hear that? He is saying covenant there. He is saying God has committed himself to us. So relax into the arms of God that has by his own being sworn with the blood oath of the blood of Jesus that he will never, ever, never. Do you see how many times it had to be said in English to get the punch of the words in the original language? Huh. That's who you are. I'm talking to you. It is loving kindness. It is covenant promise um, you know, I'll never leave you. Well, that, that means he is with them. And that's the big word of the Old Testament. He's with us. Do you know what that means? As you, in your home, your neighborhood, as you go to your work, your factory, your school, whatever, 
He said he's with you. He, he, he is with you never to leave you. And in Exodus 33, Moses had made such a deal of this. Let me read again, spot read it in Exodus 33:12, beginning anyway. He says to the Lord, you, you have said, I have known you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Moses, and that's what you said to me. Well, now therefore, says Moses, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, know you, not about you, so that I might find favor in your sight. And so the response of the Lord was, my presence shall go with you. I will give you rest. So then Moses says to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Call the whole thing off. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, me and your people, may be distinguished from all other people who are upon the face of the earth? Do you you get it? He said, look, you you say I, I found favor with you. You are on our side and... Well, he says, Moses, how, how do, does the world know that? How do we know that? Is that you are with us and you never leave us. You have permanent residence in our lives, in our homes and work and school. You are with us and you are with us then making a difference. People can see that loving kindness Though they can't explain it, but they know there is an aura in our lives of presence to the point where we are distinguished above all other peoples on earth. We stand out like a radiant. No, it's, this, this is covenant, loving kindness. You, you rest in his love, you rest in his faithfulness. And by the way, I, I made a big point of saying that, that this is the, the act of God's will. It's his intention. It springs from his being. And it was a public ceremony. He's never been embarrassed about saying he loves you. Told the whole world that publicly. And so some people, and I think this is what happens in many Bible schools and seminaries, becomes a legal transaction and there is something legal about it, but that falls very, very far behind. But the, the fact is, if, if we think of it as a legal transaction, then it gets very cold, um, removed, kind of sign here. Uh, no, it, it is the very intention of God. This is the will of God, uh, and therefore I can rest in that. It's not a whim he has. It's not a hobby he's got. This, this is who God is. Therefore, it can never fail, and I can be bold in depending upon that. But it's not cold. Oh, no. It is filled with a limitless joy, which is uniquely God's joy. I, I say again, this, this loving kindness is, is, is the actual communicating with us 
of love. It's love actually touching the details of our life in the kitchen and in the home and on the factory bench and on the desk of the boardroom. It's, it's love now, love here, love in action touching me. And the one word which I haven't even touched on, maybe another time, but the word is pleasure. It says that God takes pleasure in us. And the word in the original language means he's bent over toward us. Uh, he, he treats us in a special way. He bends to us to make us his special people and to bless us. He wills to bless us. This isn't just a legal sign on the dotted line. It is a God who knows us and knows the needs of my life before I do. And he bends over to be close to us. That's the image. And and to pour his love into us. He wills to bless us. Um, and that that blessing covers the total person. This would have to be gone into a different time. It's too much. But the blessing covered everything from the way you looked at life, your attitude, your emotions. It covered your physical bodies and the cells of your body. It covered even your animals and certainly your your crops and everything you touched at work. You were blessed. God's with you. God's with you. He loves you. You're his special is love desiring us. It's love assuring us that he's friendly. Can I, can I say that? Uh, it, some people, I, I said to once, you know, God is love and everybody nodded very solemnly and wondered when I get on to the proper point. And I said, yeah, he's not only love, but he likes you. And they nearly fell apart. They, they had never, ever put the two words together. Well, let me say, he not only likes to you, likes you, he's friendly. He's fond of you. Okay, does that help? He's open to wide open to you. He wants us. And the covenant loving kindness is his invitation to know him at a very real and a very deep level. Please, do you understand? Boy, I shouldn't bring this up with just a few minutes to go. <laughs> do, do you understand that the gospel, the goal of the gospel, which incidentally sums up the goal of the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, is not merely to get forgiveness. I, I don't know how some people can put up with it, I really don't. Go every week to hear that your sins need to be forgiven. Uh, could we visit the cross? You know, shedding of the blood of Jesus that cleanses from all sin. And behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you realize the gospel is not just about forgiveness? Forgiveness, yes, it it is... Oh, it's glorious and very necessary because we can't move on with But the gospel's goal is that we enter into covenant fellowship and communion with the creator, lover, God. And not as a second experience. I mean, this is where we begin. This is what it's about. Your sins have been dealt with. 
heard it, cleansed, finished, gone. Let, let's, uh, that, that's it. We, we don't have to keep revisiting it. It's gone. Look at him. He took away the sins of the world. Done. He said, it is finished. Done. Why was it done? So that you could now enjoy fellowship with God, communion with God, feel and know the entrance of his love into your innermost being. No fellowship, conversation, the sharing of life. He's your friend. I said that, didn't I? He's your friend. He's friendly. Well, what is a friend? Well, he's one who's bent towards you. A good friend is there to guide and counsel, to guard and protect. Well, that's that's life, you see. That's life. You, You are with the God who is passionate about you. He wants you. He likes you. He he has chosen to be with you and in you. In fact, in Exodus 19, when he made that covenant that those parents of these kids had seen, uh, he, he actually said the words that you are my special treasure. Yeah. And throughout Scripture, it overloads sometimes with his description of delighting in and, and placing extreme worth and value upon us. In fact, in Isaiah, it says he has written us on the palm of his hands. That sounds like covenant, doesn't it? Uh, what about Zephaniah 3.17, where it says... That, that he, the Lord God in the midst of us, that he sings over, sings over us with uninhibited delight. He rejoices over you, which, which is the word that indicates dancing while you're singing. Hey, come on. This is our God. This is the gospel. Isn't revisiting every week, what have you done wrong? Come forward and get saved again. Oh, for goodness sake. Would somebody read the Bible? This this gospel says your sins are dealt with. Now let's get on with this dance with a God who sings for joy that he's got you in his arms. The God who looks into your life and says that you are a person of extreme worth and value. That you are his beauty. He has joined himself to us joined himself to us, given himself to us. That's covenant. Yeah, but just a minute. He's in covenant with me. What do I give to him? Well, that's the point, you see. We have nothing to give to him by creation blueprint. All we can do is receive. That's how we're made. We are made to derive our life, to take, receive life. So we've got nothing to offer except our nothing to offer. But you see, that nothing to offer is vital to making this work. That he in his fullness comes to dwell within our, I'm wired to receive him. And so all I can respond to him, all that I give is yes. Some have made this very difficult, but it isn't. Why would it be difficult when he says in Isaiah 35 that this way which is in Christ, it says, uh, if a person is a fool, 
they will not miss this pathway. No, we were made to receive love that is almost beyond words. And when we do, all we have is, I can receive that. That's it. And I do so by saying, yes, 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 yes. Or as the Virgin Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. Yes. Well, I was going to speak on the whole text, but we haven't got too far, have we? So we're going to finish this out next week. But if you could rest into what I've said, you know, treat it like a a beautiful bed and just lay on it and let it enfold itself around you and just rest into his love. And every time a question rises, just say, oh, no, 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 yes. I just say yes to his love. It, everything that comes from God is beyond comprehension, right? I, I quoted a little bit, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, never entered into the heart of man. Things that God has prepared for those who love him. But he has now revealed that to us by his Spirit. But it isn't by your intellect. It's only the Holy Spirit that can show you this. And then when it speaks of his peace, what does it say in Philippians 4? That the peace of God, which passes human comprehension, shall keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So if it passes human comprehension, then stop trying to involve your human comprehension in understanding it. It's a waste of time. Just cut to the chase and realize only you, Holy Spirit, can open my eyes to this. And I say, yes, I say, yes, I say, yes. I run to every window of my life and I open it. I say, yes, come in. I open all the doors. I say, yes. Let there be the fullest revelation that he is here. He is now. He is loving me. Let me wake up and realize his loving kindness is. Another blessing of God who is almighty covenant love, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May he now bless you to open your eyes to see that this is the God who now fills you. May your eyes be open to see that and rest there for the rest of your day. So I bless you. So it is.